all the latest updates on your local and regional sports. This is Sports Talk on 92 WICB Ithaca. Hello everyone, my name is Michael Nemes and I'll be your host for this week's episode of WICB Sports Talk. We've got a great show today including an update on the high school sports seasons, interviews with Cornell athletes, and a busy week in the world of New York sports. Let's dive right in. High school sports guidelines came out in a 49-page document Friday night from the New York State Public High School Athletic Association. When I interviewed Samantha Little last week for Sports Talk, a lot of her answers was that the district was waiting for these guidelines before doing anything, so hopefully this can help Ithaca City School District, as well as many other districts and sections throughout the state. Here is some of what we know after this document was released. Low and moderate risk sports are allowed to begin practicing on September 21st. However, these teams will need 10 practices, or 12 if it's gymnastics, to play a game or scrimmage, so we're not going to see anything until October. Also, these teams cannot practice or play in seven consecutive days, though that will end on October 12th when that is waived. So sometime early October, we'll see the first games. The start of winter season was pushed back two weeks, which kind of makes sense because fall sports delayed. Now it's going to start November 30th instead of November 16th. Football, cheerleading, and volleyball, which are all high-risk sports, they can practice, but they can't play. They aren't going to be able to play until authorization of state officials or the end of the year. Now, sections can move those sports or any sports to different seasons. That may end up happening for at least some places if they're not going to be able to play for the fall season. All athletic competitions must be in section or league until October 19th. Students also cannot be restricted or excluded from an athletic activity based on the fact that they're doing hybrid learning or fully remote learning as long as they're taking three courses and physical education. Also in the guidelines were an online course for coaches and administrators, as well as some certain rule changes and guidelines for specific sports. Now that the schools have these guidelines, the districts can review them, and Executive Director Robert Zayas will discuss the guidelines next week. There is a dedicated page on the NYSPHSAA website dedicated to providing up-to-date information. Now, a lot of onus is on the districts and sections to implement the recommendations or the requirements under the guidelines. It is likely not all New York schools will be able to do this and have sports in the fall, and maybe even the winter and spring. Hopefully these sports go off without a hitch, and the COVID numbers go down so that football, volleyball, cheerleading, and any other sports that won't be allowed can be played. Only time will tell. My biggest takeaway is there will be no competitions in Ithaca for a month, and that will only be high school and modified sports. In normal circumstances, Cornell University would have already started playing games, but the Ivy League canceled sporting events for the remainder of 2020. However, that doesn't mean these sports aren't remaining active. Sportscaster Luke Bagoni talked to Cornell cross-country and track and field runner Gregory Fusco about his experiences on the Big Red cross-country and track and field team, how the runners have been adjusting during the summer and beyond, and his recovery from injury. Take it away, Luke. Thank you for that introduction, Michael. As he mentioned, I'm joined by Cornell Cross Country and Track and Field runner Gregory Fusco. Thank you for joining me today, Greg. First off, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Doing really well. Starting classes. Yeah, how are you doing with the starting classes? It's good. It's interesting. We had some of the online stuff last semester, so I was just getting back into that and learning from your room and learning mm -hmm. from your desk is fun, but it's a difficult challenge. Now, speaking of that online, and you know, we're, we're going to start off here with the track and field season really not happening and the cross-country season the Ivy League was one of the first leagues around the country to cancel fall sports how did the team react to that initially we took it pretty well but honestly we, we, we saw writing on the wall we knew we knew it was coming 
we're really optimistic in March that hey, like you know, we just got our spring canceled, but we'll have our fall, our, our fall. But obviously, there are bigger things in the world going on right now, and mm-hmm. it's very hard for us to to sit around and say, hey, we should be having a season when so many so many bigger things are going on. And we took it well. Obviously, it's never great to hear that you can't compete for another six months, but I think overall we look at it as hey, like we're still gonna get better. They didn't cancel running. They canceled competing, and mm-hmm. we're still gonna get better and grow as a team. Yeah, obviously it's it's tough to hear that news right away, but as you said, there was so much going on in the world. It's probably hard to really take that all in. So how about during the midst of the quarantine, you know, those hard months like April, May, and June where there was really nothing going on and you weren't really allowed to go outside or you couldn't really see anyone? How was that for the team? Yeah, so I think for the team it was actually pretty good because a lot of us stayed up in Ithaca and a lot of us were able to just get put, put in good quality work with the teammates. And I think that a lot of runners across the country or across the – the world handled it different ways. Some people took a lot of time off. Some people took it as a, hey, let's get as strong as we possibly can because why not? There's nothing. There's no race on the calendar. You can do a lot of things to your body that give yourself more recovery, give yourself, like, you don't have to race. You don't have to be sharp. Mm-hmm. So uh, personally, I took it really well. I was able to get up to the highest I've been in my life, and that was really great, and especially after being hurt, it feels a lot better. Mm-hmm. But I think that we took it really well and took it as a good step in the next progression and be like, hey, of the season but we're still gonna get better so on runs you guys maintain social distancing or if your people you lived with are you running with them do you wear a mask what's kind of the protocol there there's about six guys in my house and we get tested pretty frequently with cornell so fortunately we're pretty good with that but we're wearing a mask in the common areas or on the porch or once we leave the house and we're around other people and on runs we all have gators and masks and we've been trying to stagger our runs we go with one or two other people and we always have a mask on us and we always are ready to pull it up and mm-hmm. Hopefully, I mean, in Ithaca, you get some trails that you can be on by yourself. So if you're mm-hmm. out in the woods a couple miles, you, you can drop the mask for a little bit if there's nobody around. But we're always very vigilant. Mm-hmm. Keep it on us and make sure that we're both practicing our state guidelines and school guidelines. So are you on, like, kind of like a schedule to get tested within your house? Is it someone gets tested per week, or is it only if one of you are feeling down or sick that week, I guess you could say? Over the summer, it was a little interesting because testing was a more of a we would do it on our own. It was like, hey, like there's, I think there's, like I said, six or seven of us are here this summer, and it was like, hey, like we're all gonna get tested a couple days, like every couple weeks. So it, it worked out pretty well. That it was like, hey, someone get tested this week, someone get tested next week, and every time we just were very careful about everything. And I, like we said, we were practicing very, we were very good with social distancing, very good with only seeing one another. And when we were up here, we treated treated it like a training trip. Mm-hmm. We were here to do our our internships and our work during the day and to train with the team and to get our work in at night. That's certainly positive to hear. Now, as you said, class has just started, but you guys will not be competing in really this fall. So as a Division One athlete at one of the better universities in the country, your schedule is undoubtedly packed all the time with no practice, no meets, or, you know, you just can really go on runs with your housemates or other people on the team. How do you think your, your response to that with really just classes? I mean, probably for the first time in a long time, you won't really have official meets. It's going to be a change for sure. I think that a lot of us are noticing we're going to have a lot more time on our hands. I think everyone is going to notice you have a lot more time on your hands, especially athletes, because there's no walking to practice, no walking to dinner. Mm-hmm. It's just everything's out of your house, kind mm-hmm. of. You're, you are isolated. You are social distancing. And uh, I think we'll handle it really well. It's certainly going to be a shock. I think that hopefully I think a lot of people taking harder classes this semester trying to get over the hump with, hey, this is like, could be the last time I'm not, I have all this time or I'm not focusing on something else on the side. The running is still going to be there. We're still going to be training. We're still trying to get better. I mean, there will be a season eventually. Yep. There will there will be meets. There will be time trials, and we're going to be ready for it. Mm-hmm. 
I think that that's the biggest thing is having such a good group of guys and such good coaching ahead of us that we know that we could we're looking long term and we're always looking long term but like be patient now do the work and it'll come now looking at you more as an individual you experienced a lot of success your freshman year and more specifically at HEPS. Now, could you explain what HEPS is? I know specifically what it is, but I'm sure there are a lot of people who don't know what it is and kind of your success throughout your freshman year. HEPS is the Ivy League Hectagonal Championships. And it's been going on for forever. It's been going on since the 1920s. And it is like is the eight, the eight meets, the eight teams of the Ivy League. And, and it is one of the most passionate and intense track and field meets in the country. And, you talk to alumni, you talk to Olympians, Olympic gold medalists, just people, and they, they love the Haps because mm-hmm. it's, it is eight teams that do not like each other but respect each other tremendously and compete against each other very, very well. And there are rivalries, and it's kind of everything you do and everything you, as an athlete, when you come here, you were taught Haps, Haps, Haps. It's always about the Haps. It's always about winning at the Haps. It's always about scoring points at the Haps, getting on the podium, doing what you can. And at Cornell specifically, we have – this thing called like a sash that goes across our jersey and that's earning your sash and that's at the Haps or IC4As and that's been going on since the 1800s and it's like all this stuff that is very like ingrained to our history and has like a lot of really cool traditions it's certainly a big thing and I've been fortunate enough to be part of some really good teams and have some good races um, I was able to place fifth freshman year in the 3k indoors and that was that was really really good time because I mean you go in there and and Haps is truly they talk about it it's a very tactical race for distance runners it's very interesting and be able to go in there somewhere like me ranked in the 20s and sneak out a fifth place finish just because hey like the crowd's gonna carry you the atmosphere's gonna carry you and you just have to be ready to have your best day it's certainly impressive as a freshman now you mentioned that was at the indoor heps meet right yep so at the outdoor heps meet you actually hurt your achilles and then you went on to have surgery for it a year later you missed that entire 2019 fall season and now that you were ready to come back COVID 19 hit how have you dealt with those frustrations so far? I mean, I can imagine how frustrating it might be. Yeah, it's definitely not fun. But I mean, I'm just happy that I'm healthy. And you, get, you can't control these things. You got to control where you're at. And this best advice: you got to be where you be where you are. And it was certainly a frustrating process missing missing the fall and then getting the spring canceled. But I'm just really fortunate that we were able to we hosted Heps this past indoor at Barton Hall in Cornell, and it was really like true amazing experience of all these alumni come back and all these people on campus and be able to score points again for my team and just it felt so much sweeter we're like you don't really appreciate it when you're not hurt you're like oh like i'm just gonna progress each year i'm gonna get so much better but you really you really feel it when hey six months ago i couldn't walk mm-hmm. like i was scooting around campus had crutches it, it feels a lot sweeter holding, holding the medicine on the podium and i think it just makes me hungry for more and makes me think you know we don't have a season now it's gonna be a little later but i think that when when we have is uh, i'm gonna remember that feeling and mm-hmm. i'm gonna know what it's like yeah so when was the last time you raced competitively so i raced i actually only raced student up once this whole in the past two years basically Man. was so i suited up at, at indoor have some march 1st in barnall and besides that i had taken a year off before that for just trying to get back into it and looks like it's gonna be close to another six months after after this like we said certainly frustrating but as you said you stay positive you'll be back before you know it now looking at your class as a whole you guys were recruited by head coach michael henderson who took over the cross country and distance program your freshman year you were his first recruiting class now the program has seen a bit of a resurgence since then could you go into that a little bit yeah yeah hendo coach hendo he's he's the man i i I can't say enough good things about him like i said he was our first recruiting class and 
he was recruiting us. I think that our, our all of our guys, all seven or eight of us, we all really bought in. We really like we committed to run a Cornell for Coach Henderson, and I think he sold us that we could be a great team and we could be better people and we could be just a great unit. And immediately we had myself, my, my twin brother, and my roommate break a thirty-six-year-old freshman record. We've had great success, and we've just been able to like carry the program back. To, like we've been great for so many years, and I think that we just, him coming in with us, I think it was like a new blood that really jump-started some stuff, and it's just amazing. We we know that it's frustrating because we know how good we can be if we were able to compete this year, but it's also really it's hopeful, and we know we have a lot of potential and. We know we won't waste opportunities because how limited they are now. Greg, thank you again for joining us here. For ICTV Sports and WICB Sports, I'm Luke Pagoni. Hope you guys enjoyed the interview. And now we're going to toss it back to Mike. Thank you, Luke. I'll definitely be rooting for Fusco once he starts competing again, not only because of him being a runner for Big Red, but also because he went to Somers High School, which is not too far from my high school. I am also rooting for the New York Islanders, who have been the surprise of the NHL bubble. They moved on to the Eastern Conference Finals after an exciting series with the Philadelphia Flyers. The Islanders lost all three of their games in overtime, and it looked like they were going to blow a 3-1 lead after a brutal Game 6. How brutal was it? The Islanders outshot the Flyers 53-31 and lost due to a broken stick from Scott Mayfield. The momentum should have been in the Flyers' favor after that devastating loss for the Islanders. That wasn't the case in Game 7. Mayfield made up for the broken stick in Game 6 by scoring the opening goal for the Islanders. It was dominance for the entire game from the Isles, and they won 4 to nothing. The six-seeded Islanders will be in the conference finals for the first time since the 1992-93 season, and will head from Toronto to Edmonton to face the second-seeded Tampa Bay Lightning. If the Islanders win, they will beat in the top three seeds in the East and play the winner of the Las Vegas Golden Knights and Dallas Stars. One of the other New York hockey teams added a very well-known Cornell hockey player this offseason. Morgan Barron, the Big Red star forward, signed a three-year entry-level contract with the New York Rangers. Rangers drafted Barron in the sixth round of the 2017 NHL entry draft. Barron was probably Cornell's best player last season and a Hobie Baker finalist, as well as ECAC Player of the Year. The decision by Barron to forego his senior season and go to the Rangers makes sense after the Ivy League canceled all competitive sports for the rest of 2020 and with the rest of the season being in doubt. Former WICB sports director Severin Lavenstein talked with Barron about his relationship with the Rangers, what players he tries to emulate, and more in an interview at the beginning of last season. So off-season training, you sort of talked about having that longer off-season. What is that training like, especially for you and your position? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was back home. It was a lot of fun. I think, uh, obviously, you're anxious to get the season going. Everyone's really excited, but it's always nice to get some time at home. And, um, yeah, just get back on the ice a little bit towards the end of the summer, and the skates are a little bit more skill-based and uh, nothing too crazy. And then, obviously, you get back in the gym and try to build your strength back up to where it was and exceed where it was before the season started the year, year before. And then um, when we get back on the campus, I feel like it's a lot more team stuff. Uh, we're in the gym with Coach Holly, which has been awesome. I feel like the guys have really put in the work in the gym. And then uh, once it hits uh, middle October there, start of October, the coaches get in the ice with us, and that's when the hockey really ramps up. So the last few weeks have been pretty intense in terms of practices, and uh, we started to fill out the exhibition games and stuff, and, and everything's been going really well. So, yeah, like you said, long off season, and it just makes us more excited to get going with the games. Awesome. How has Coach Schaefer been approaching this season with the players? Is it any different from last year? Is there any different emphasis based on the way the season ended? Um, 
There's a few minor differences, I would say. I think, uh, you know, in years past, he's been very focused on the day-to-day process. Uh, I'm sure you guys have heard that a lot from, from interviewing us, the players or the coaches. I mean, he's stuck with that. Um, I think this year we, we sat down and, and very briefly and quickly discussed, you know, what where we want to be at the end of the year, and then he's he's quickly shut that down and been like, okay, that's where we want to be, that's our goal, but we're still going to stay within our day-to-day, week-to-week process and just try to build uh, every time we're on the ice. So uh, it's been similar to the past years, but I think, uh, you know, his sentiment towards the team this year is very positive, and, and it's the same feeling in the dressing room. Everyone feels really strongly about the group we have in there. All right, so for you, I'm really curious, what is the process like? Obviously, um, drafted, I believe, 2017 uh, New York Rangers in the uh, in the entry draft, I believe it is. Yep. Um, what is that whole thing like? Does the team stay in contact with you? Do they dictate anything? Are you kind of on your own? Like, How does yeah, that work? I mean, they stay in contact with me, and uh, I go report to their development camp every summer, so that's a great opportunity for, opportunity for me to go uh, – uh, learn from from all their staff and uh, their coaches, and it's a ton of like meetings and stuff in terms of nutrition and working out and all that stuff. So um, that's like my main source of being in contact with them. And then obviously I'll, I'll keep in touch with them throughout the year. They're a great resource for me in terms of if I ever need anything. Um, you know, it's good to have those people to talk to as well. But uh, they do a great job of kind of letting me just focus on my season at Cornell every year and listen to my coaches and develop here. I think they, they have a good relationship with Coach Schaefer. I know he was down there and checked out a few practices and stuff this year and tried to learn from them. And uh, So, yeah, they do a great job of just letting me focus on my game. Um, I don't like having too many people in the air when I'm trying to play. So, uh, yeah, they've done a great job with me, and I really appreciate everything they've done. So it's been awesome so far. It seems like such a unique relationship with the NHL and with college athletics as opposed to some other sports where you can kind of have that connection. Already. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a huge advantage. And like I said, it's not just for me. I mean, the coaches have been able to go down there, and I know now Shave's been to Detroit and New York, and I'm sure he'll keep building those connections with different teams. So, uh, yeah, it's a unique opportunity for sure, but it's been great for me. And I think, uh, you know, other guys in the dressing room, it's been uh, it's pretty advantageous. Morgan? Can you describe for me what kind of player you feel you are? I think a lot of times at this level, you get a lot of people that sort of like to say what they think about the player, what they see. How would you describe your playing style? Yeah, I think I'm obviously, I like to use my size and my advantage. Uh, I try to play as physical as I can like the rest of our team. But um, I think the past few years, I've really just tried to build and, and get a little bit more touch around the net. And obviously, I think that showed up statistically a little bit last year. And, uh, you know, that was, again, something I tried to build on over the summer and work on that. So... Um, you know, it, it's like Coach Schaefer says all the time, we need to be able to play at both ends of the ring, full 200-foot game. So that's something I've, I've worked on since I've been here. So, yeah, I, I like to model myself after some players in the NHL who really just play complete games at both ends of the ice, and, and that's what I've tried to do while I've been here. What kind of players? Can you name someone for me? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's tons of guys. I used to like watching the Rangers play, still do all the time. So the guys like Chris Kreider, I think he, he's someone who's really responsible on his own end. And then even some, some guys who may not play as significant roles. I know, love watching Josh Anderson on Columbus Blue Jackets just because he's a physical player, and the same thing, he has some touch around the net. So, yeah, I mean, there's tons of guys. I think I don't, I don't think I can model myself exactly after any player because everybody's different, but I love just watching different tidbits of guys' games and trying to learn from them. Final couple of questions for you, Morgan. Mm-hmm. The the thing I want to focus on now as we, we go out is, it's a kind of a broad question, but what do you enjoy most about being a hockey player and then specifically about being a Cornell hockey player? Yeah, I think I can answer both those in, in probably the same way is that it's just the camaraderie. Um, you know, I've played in a lot of teams, all my best friends, um, you know, pretty much in the world that I have come from hockey. Uh, so I think, yeah, growing up, um, 
you know, all the relationships I built were based around the sport and then coming to Cornell. Uh, I, I mean, I firmly believe that the culture we have and how tight-knit our group is is, you know, we're definitely the closest group in the country, in my opinion. I don't think there's anybody else who can, who can even come close to it. There's just something about the way we play, um, you know, the way we live, the way, the way we always eat together, we study together, everything. So, um, yeah, definitely the relationships I built from it um, and, and the way it's, we can go out there and compete against each other in practice. And it seems like we're trying to kill each other in the corners battle and then come off the ice and they're your best friends again. So I think... At the end of the day, that's what I'm going to look back at and enjoy the most is that I've made some of my best friends while I'm here, and I'm sure the relationships will continue to grow as I get older. Is there a particular aspect of the game that you love the most? Is it you know the feeling when you score a goal? Is it the feeling when you make a hard check? Mm-hmm. Is it seeing the crowd out there at Lina? Yeah, the, the crowd's cool. I, I mean, I think any hockey player, you, you love scoring goals. If, you're, for, uh, if you want to be an offensive player at every level, you got to love the feeling. So I don't think there's really anything that can compete with that, scoring goals. and. And then, uh, obviously, when we win the games and we're saluting the crowd, I think that's something that will always, uh, you know, get a few butterflies in your stomach just because I don't think there's a crowd in, in college that's going to compete with the line of faithful at the end of the day. And it's really special for all of us to experience that and, and to do it with a win. Uh, you know, obviously, it just keeps us wanting to come back for more and keep winning games for them and for ourselves. Morgan, thanks so much for joining me, and good luck for the rest of the season. Absolutely, I appreciate it. Thank you. Cornell was ranked first last season in both men's and women's ice hockey before the season got cut short due to COVID-19. Barron is excited about being in New York, saying, You get goosebumps whenever you think about it. There's no city like New York in the world. All the history the team has, the winning culture, my goal is to be a part of that. Speaking of teams with a winning culture, the New York Yankees have not done a lot of winning lately. They are struggling against teams like the New York Mets and Baltimore Orioles, and are now fighting with the Toronto Blue Jays for second place in the division. They were supposed to be competing for first, but after losing the series to the Tampa Bay Rays, who are in first place this week, the Yankees claiming the AL East crown is unlikely. As players come off the IL, another player goes on. They finally got Zach Britton, Kyle Higashioka, and Glaber Torres back this week, but now Gio Urshela, who had just started getting hot, and Jonathan Loisaga, who had been one of the Yankees' better relievers, are on the IL. The team added no one at the trade deadline to the frustration of their fans. The hope is that the team is healthy for the playoffs and that will be enough to win the World Series. However, they only are three games up for a playoff spot, so that's not even guaranteed, especially if the team keeps on struggling. The good news, the teams closest to taking the final wildcard spot all subtracted talent from their team at the trade deadline. Brett Gardner and Miguel Andujar from recent performances may have turned it around on offense. Debbie Garcia is living up to the hype. Eric Kratz has surpassed expectations by far, and Clint Frazier, Luke Voigt, and DJ LeMahieu are looking impressive. The bad news, Garrett Cole is not pitching like an ace. Mike Talkman and Mike Ford look lost at the plate. Gary Sanchez remains cold and has had over half of his at-bats with runners on base. The back half of the lineup is awful, and it seems like no bullpen arm is trustworthy. Hopefully the future additions off the IL and some adjustments can fix these problems. There were several additions and subtractions in the football world, as rosters were cut to 53 players. A notable addition was made by the New York Football Giants, who made a much-needed signing of former New England Patriots and Tennessee Titans cornerback Logan Ryan. The deal was for one year and $7.5 million, and comes off a year where Ryan had a career-high 113 tackles. The Giants were also linked to former Giant Prince Mukamara, but the Ryan signing makes sense. He might have a less steep learning curve with defensive coordinator Patrick Graham and head coach Joe Judge, who both were coaches with the Patriots when Ryan was on the team. 
And man, does this Giants team need him. At cornerback, last year's first-round pick, DeAndre Baker, is currently under trial and is likely to be released by the team. And 2018 supplemental pick, Sam Beal, has opted out of the season. The team is thin at safety as well after second-round pick, Xavier McKinney, fractured his left foot and will miss the season after getting surgery. Judge claimed Ryan would play a variety of roles for the team, so hopefully his presence can shore up the secondary. Meanwhile, the New York Jets had some turbulent times at running back. Their fourth-round pick, LaMichael P. Ryan, injured his ankle, and Josh Adams was sidelined with a hamstring injury. So, the team was down to Le'Veon Bell and Frank Gore at running back. They tried to trade for the Miami Dolphins' Kalen Balaj, but he failed his physical due to a hamstring injury. The team ended up signing Pete Guerrero after cutting him, and then cut him again after good news on P. Ryan's ankle. Speaking of running backs, Leonard Fournette was waived by the Jacksonville Jaguars after the team was unable to trade him, and he signed a one-year deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Fournette was a big reason the Jaguars went to the AFC Championship game in 2017, and the former fourth overall pick still has a ton of talent. He'll add another weapon to this talented Bucks offense. The Jaguars team is obviously rebuilding as evidenced by a team also trading Yannick Ngakwe this week to the Minnesota Vikings. Team got a 2021 second round pick and a conditional 2022 fifth round selection in the trade. This is just another weapon to add to the Vikings' vaunted defense and finally grants Ngakwe the change of scenery he had been looking for since March. Some other surprising cuts were Dallas Cowboys safety Haha Clinton Dix, who signed with the team this offseason, the Washington football team's running back Adrian Peterson, a day after the team posted a picture of Peterson saying he's ready on the team's Instagram account. Seattle Seahawks linebacker Shaquem Griffin, Patriots running back Lamar Miller and wide receiver Mohamed Sanu, Dolphins quarterback Josh Rosen, and Giants linebacker Ryan Connolly. Another surprise, this time in the NBA world, the Brooklyn Nets have hired former NBA star Steve Nash to be their head coach. The deal is for four years. While some fans wanted interim coach Jock Vaughn to become head coach, he will be lead assistant coach with the team. Now, Nash has never been a head coach before. However, he was a player development consultant for the Golden State Warriors, which is the team Kevin Durant was on before he signed with the Nets last offseason. So the Nets hired a coach that would make their star players happy. It will be lots of pressure for Nash in his first season as this team has championship expectations for the talent on their roster. For his sake, hopefully he fares better in the playoffs as a coach than he did as a player. In more somber coaching news, former Georgetown head coach John Thompson passed away this week at the age of 78. Thompson, a true trailblazer, became the first African-American coach to take a team to the Final Four in 1982 and to win the NCAA Basketball Championship in 1984. His impact was felt in the NBA as well, coaching stars such as Patrick Ewing, Allen Iverson, Alonzo Mourning, and Dikembe Mutombo. Thompson was not afraid to be outspoken as well. He boycotted games in 1989 against Boston College and Providence in opposition to Proposition 42, which denied scholarships to freshmen who didn't meet certain academic requirements. Thompson felt it was biased against underprivileged students, and the proposition was modified in 1990. Another legend passed away this week as Tom Seaver died at the age of 75. Tom Terrific, as he was known, is by far the greatest player in Mets history, and one of the greatest, if not the greatest, pitchers of all time. Some of his accomplishments include three Cy Youngs, 12 All-Star appearances, nearly unanimous Hall of Fame vote, a World Series championship, and his number 41 retired by the Mets. 
Oh yeah, and City Field is located at 41 Seaver Way. Seaver forever will be remembered in Mets, New York, and baseball history. To honor Seaver, the Mets players in the game immediately following Seaver's death, put dirt on their right knee of their pants leg to honor Seaver's drop-and-drive delivery, and tip their cap to Seaver's number 41 in the stands. That will wrap up this week's edition of WICB Sports Talk. To listen to both interviews in full or to re-listen to this episode, head over to the WICB SoundCloud. Special thanks to Luke Bagoni, our station manager Sam Ives, and our general manager Jeremy Menard. This is Michael Memes, signing off.